Welcome to Primarily 2020, the podcast all about the politics, policies, and personalities of the 2020 Democratic primary. I'm your host, Karen Robinson. This week on the podcast, I am joined by the comedian Eric McElroy, and we will be running through all of the Democratic candidates in turn, picking from each of them the the attribute or characteristic that we admire the most in order to assemble our dream candidate, the ideal Democratic candidate. So stay tuned for that. But first, here's a quick news roundup. So a quick poll watcher segment for you this week. Um, As... Usual, we like to start with looking at where the candidates stand in the polls. Um, This week, we've seen a slight downtick uh, for Joe Biden's support. He's at 26 points in the polls now. Um, But interestingly, um, Elizabeth Warren has been holding steady. Um, The only person who seemed to have done much gaining in the polls, and it's not by very much, is is Pete Buttigieg, who's now up to eight points. Uh, Bernie Sanders is down at 17.8. So the gap between Warren at 20.8 average and Sanders at 17.8 has closed a little bit over the last few weeks. uh, but Buttigieg has seen a, a slight uptick, um, and Kamala Harris is now at 5.3%, pretty much where she was. She had a, a downturn last week, but she's kind of back up a little bit now. Um, these are all very not small numbers, so it's not that meaningful necessarily. It could be polling noise. Andrew Yang is at 2.8 points, Amy Klobuchar 2.3, um, and on and on. So um, the, the structure of the race, basically with Joe Biden um, being in the lead, remains as it was. Elizabeth Warren's um, support has slunk off a little bit in recent weeks, so it's now closer between Biden, Warren, and Sanders than it has been for a little while. Um, And so Biden's lead is perhaps less significant than it has been, but it's still a clear lead. Um, And also on the eve of the impeachment debate, um, looking at the polling, uh, suggesting support for impeachment, um, is impeachment is slightly supported by the American public, um, in this first week of impeachment hearings, 48.5% of Americans on average support, um, impeachment in some form, um, 45.7% say they don't support impeachment in any form. Um, that obviously reversed itself. There was a strong, um, up, there was a stronger opposition to impeachment until roughly the Ukraine, Ukraine scandal broke. And very shortly after Nancy Pelosi announced um, that the House would be proceeding with impeachment, the public broadly began supporting impeachment. And that's been pretty steady. Um, speaking of which, in the news roundup this week, that's obviously the big piece of news. Impeachment hearings into the president's Ukrainian misbehavior began in the House this week. In the first day of hearings, William Taylor, the ambassador to Ukraine, and George Kent, the deputy assistant secretary of state for European and Eurasian affairs, How's that for a title? Um, They described the background of Ukraine's vulnerable position as a state trying to resist Russian invasion and Ukraine's reliance upon U.S. support. They also talked about um, what they had seen of the efforts that Rudy Giuliani and EU Ambassador Gordon Sondland had been making on the president's behalf, trying to persuade the Ukrainian president not just to conduct but to announce publicly on television an investigation um, against uh, the president's political rival, Joe 
Biden. Uh, the big news from the first day of, of testimony was Taylor's revelation that he had recently learned that a member of his staff overheard a conversation between the president and Ambassador Sondland directly, in which the president appeared to be pressing Sondland to secure the announcement of that Biden investigation. That staff member is now expected to testify behind closed doors, um, and presumably that will come up in Sondland's testimony, which I believe is scheduled to take place next week. In other news this week, um, a lot going on in the Democratic primary race. Uh, Former New York Mayor Mike Bloomberg has been publicly toying with entering the race and has managed to actually get himself onto the ballot in Alabama and Arkansas. Um, Now, Bloomberg has not officially declared, um, but he still says he's considering it um, and Searing is considering it very seriously. Um, He needed to put himself on the ballot for Alabama and Arkansas because those have quite early um, deadlines for registration for the primary ballot. Um, Meanwhile, former governor of Massachusetts, Deval Patrick, has in fact announced that he'll be entering the race. So we have two potentially new candidates in the race. Mike Bloomberg obviously is a a billionaire. This would make him the second billionaire to enter the race um, after Tom Steyer. So I guess the billionaire demographic doesn't necessarily think that it's well enough represented in the primary. Hey-ho. Personally, I have some skepticism about about Mike Bloomberg's potential in the race. I don't think there's a lot of evidence that the voters in the Democratic primary are looking for a candidate with with Bloomberg's makeup. Um, I think possibly Deval Patrick might have a slightly clearer path to the nomination. Um, He could argue that he has the sort of um, political expert experience and and um, kind of productive political experience of a, of a Joe Biden. Um, he's an African-American candidate, so he could argue that he um, has the potential to excite the um, African-American vote, which is a big part of um, the electorate. Um, he can say that he's uh, younger than Biden and Sanders and Warren, but older than Pete Buttigieg, um, who could be attacked for being inexperienced. So maybe there's a place for Deval Patrick in the race. Um, Patrick was a um, close friend of, of Barack Obama's, and they um, so they knew each other pretty well, I think, and were quite friendly. Um, and maybe he thinks there's a almost like an Obama lane in the race. Um, we shall see. Personally, I'm skeptical that there's room left in this race for a new entrant, but it is quite telling to me um, that the candidates, at least some prominent candidates, seem to think um, that there isn't yet a, a, a clear winner in the race um, that seems to be emerging. And that's certainly true in the polling. We are, we're not seeing a, a major front runner come forward. Um, and Biden is, is looking like potentially a weak front runner. And perhaps that's why we're starting to see more and more of these, these types of candidates come forward. Um, if it's, it does seem to also be the case that democratic donors are not necessarily wildly excited about their choices, um, even though they have already got a billionaire in their in their midst to vote for if they want to. Um, I'm skeptical about how much that will matter to the actual race itself, given that Warren and Sanders have proven an ability to raise quite a lot of money without the traditional Democratic donor class. Um, and I, I commend them for doing that. Um, so we'll, we'll see how it plays out. But it definitely tells you something interesting about at least how certain um, members of the Democratic establishment are perceiving the race so far. Um, the only other piece of news I wanted to discuss this week really quickly is um, 
that uh, the LA Times earlier this week posted an article in which they initially quoted Mayor Pete Buttigieg um, as referring to, quote, the failures of the Obama era and saying that um, the failures of the Obama era era bear some responsibility for for the Trump era. Um, After the quote was widely discussed um, on Twitter and with some some criticism uh, of Buttigieg for that quote, the journalist in question, Evan Halper of the LA Times, he issued an apology and a correction saying that he had wrongly transcribed the quote, which actually referred to the failures of the quote, old normal. I'm not sure how you heard Obama era and old normal as being similar, but I understand and appreciate that transcription is difficult. What really struck me about this was the the, the very quick um, outrage that was generated on, tw- on the Twitter sphere, which is where I live quite a lot of the time, um, against uh, Buttigieg's quote, which didn't even read to me as a criticism of Obama because he, it, the, the original misquote referred to the Obama era. But people really jumped up and down quite a lot and got very upset about that. Um, and it struck me that that people in the Democratic Party are pretty prickly right now. Um, I think the crit that you can you can admire President Obama, as I do, and still think that there were failures in the Obama era, not all of which were his, um, that, that that might have led to the Trump moment. But in fact, that's not even what Buttigieg said. So I th- just thought it was kind of an interesting telling point about how jumpy we all are right now as a party. Everybody, chill the F out. It's going to be okay. <laughs> well, it better be okay. I hope it'll be okay. We'll find a way to make it okay. So I want to welcome back to the podcast, Eric McElvoy, the wonderful comedian um, who has been on as a guest before. Eric is joining me this week to talk about um, what I'm calling our Franken-Candidate episode, um, or I guess you could call it our perfect candidate episode, um, to think through what would it look like if you pulled the best attributes from all of the candidates. Eric, do you want to say hello and, and talk about, I, I know you've got one in, exciting event that's coming up that you want to tell people about. Yes. Well, hello. Thanks for having me back. It's always a, a fun conversation and to look at all these things. I have to say, um, pretty much all of these people, if we were to put them as they are, they would be more exciting to see in the White House than the current occupant. I think that goes without saying. But are yes, they more exciting or, or dull in a good way? Dull in a good way, ethical in a good way, kind in a good way. I don't know. The list goes on and on. I could have less attributes. excitement in politics. I would be happy yes. with that. I think that might be, there's a few of these people that I think could deliver that for us as well (laughs) um, as we go through the list. Um, uh, And yes, um, if there's any Americans uh, in the UK, London in particular, we are doing a fundraiser for Democrats Abroad Comedy Night next Tuesday, the 19th of November. And we've got the fantastic Rich Hall, um, you know, the American comedian resident in the UK is going to come down um, along with Dane Baptiste, who's a British comic. Um, uh, another American who lives here, uh, Robin Perkins, and um, Simon Brodkin, who I don't know if you know who Simon Brodkin is. Um, he's the person uh, behind Lee Nelson, who's a kind of a sort of a okay. you know working class um, rascalian. And but Simon's the actual guy behind it, and he's doing stand up as himself. But he also famously punked Trump when Trump was in Scotland, and um, had a bunch of little golf balls, I think, with swastikas on them, and tried to get Trump to golf with one of the golf balls with a swastika, and um, got arrested by and taken away by the Secret Service. But uh, 
So uh, hope, I'm hoping wow. he'll tell that story at the comedy night. But um, but yeah, it is. It's kind of Americans are the ones who have to um, buy the tickets because it is an actual fundraiser for Democrats abroad. Um, so either um, you can if you've got an American friend who you can convince to take you um, or you're just American and want to come check it out. It's at the Backyard Comedy Club. But I think it's probably on the Democrats abroad website. Fabulous. That sounds yeah. amazing. I unfortunately have other plans on Tuesday night or I oh. would be there with bells on. Um, yeah. I have been to comedy nights hosted by Democrats abroad in the past and they are such fun. And, and yeah. Eric is always great fun. So I'm really excited about that. Um, uh, wish, I wish, wish, wish that I could be there. Um, fabulous. So let's talk about, let's talk about the topic of the week. Um, and I, I think I, I wanted to do this this podcast, this particular topic, because I've been reflecting lately. There's a lot of silliness going on with more people entering the race. And yep. Deval Patrick has jumped in this week. And, and Mike Bloomberg, because there's apparently not enough billionaires in the race yet, <laughs> yep. um, is talking about entering the race. And I thought, why, why are certain parts within the Democratic establishment apparently not happy enough with the candidates that we have in the race now? And I thought, well, maybe it's because everybody has good qualities, but mm. maybe there's a feeling that not everybody has all the good qualities wrapped up into one. Um, everybody has strengths and weaknesses, and maybe just the feeling is that there isn't one kind of like Superman candidate who's going to take us forward. Or um, superwoman. Or super person. <laughs> super dog. <Yeah. laughs> um, but yeah, it just, it just seems like it's really funny that we've arrived at this point of kind of whether it's the donor class or whether it's the media class, there's a sense of anxiety of, well, maybe we haven't found the one, the true saver. What do, what do you think about all that? It does feel like it. I think it's just kind of um, jitters, I suppose, because yeah. I think a lot of people are worried about what's at stake. Um, you know, uh, I, I think that they are taking Trump seriously, which obviously wasn't done before. Uh, so they know that it, it, that it won't be easy because of the closeness of the electoral college system. So, uh, you know, I mean, there's some attitude, obviously, from somebody like Bloomberg thinking that he can swoop in as the billionaire answer to our problems and sort of a, a geriatric Bruce Wayne. Um, <laughs> geriatric I, Bruce Wayne is a very good description. Yeah, uh, I just, you know, I, so, I mean, I mean, Deval Patrick is, I mean, I don't know much about him, but I mean, he yeah. seems like he would have been a good person to have been in the race earlier on. I don't know why he took a pass unless he just saw all these candidates and thought, well, there's just enough people in the mix already. Why yeah. he thinks it's necessary to jump in now late in the game. Um, I mean, I, I don't feel like there's space for Bloomberg. I mean, I think he's yeah. going to be another, um, uh, uh, what's his name? The Starbucks guy. Uh, Howard um, Schultz. And Howard I love Schultz. that you don't remember his name. Let's all forget uh, his name. <laughs> let's just, uh, I just don't know. I'm from Seattle. Starbucks is in my blood. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm still a Stick fan. Stick to the coffee, uh, Howard. Yeah, but good Lord. I mean, so I, I mean, I yeah. guess it's panic, but I, but I mean, you know, we're still months away from the first primary. There's yeah. people are still not only probably half engaged. I think we have a good pool of, of, of interesting people at the top of it. I'm not too worried about the far left swing. I think that'll moderate itself as time goes by. And, you know, I think it's a more stable pool than, you know, what the Republicans had when yeah. you had the boom. And well, not, I mean, not so much with Trump, because he led throughout the whole of the last primary for them. But the primary before that, when, yeah. um, you know, Herman Cain was the lead candidate for a while. I mean, <laughs> good Lord. Can you believe Michelle Bachman was soaring? Oh, <laughs> I mean, so we don't, we, you know, none of these candidates, well, a few yeah. of these candidates are as nuts as those guys were. Um so I'm I'm not 
I'm not panicked. Yeah, I think that's the thing. Like Democrats, we do this, don't we? We we just we just freak out yeah. <laughs> every once in a while. Like we just have a regularly scheduled freak out. Oh my god, it's we're gonna lose. Everything is terrible, and you just have to do okay. Calm down, everybody. <laughs> chill, chill the fuck out. <laughs> it is what it is. And I think it's it's interesting because if you look at the polling, if you ask Democratic voters, are you satisfied with the field of candidate? Of candidates, the highest proportion of voters ever polled on this question say that they are, that they say that they yeah. think they have a great roster of candidates. But it's also interesting that there is no clear front runner. I mean, Joe Biden is has been kind of the highest polling person in the race consistently, but he's only at about, you know, 20 something percent now. He's at 26%, yeah. I think. So there's no, it's not like anybody's running away with the race. And maybe that's part of what's what's underpinning some of this freak out is like people just want to know who to follow. Where do I go? <laughs> Show me something. Yeah. Maybe. And all of and all this, you know, you know, not, you know, the the competition and um, surviving the attacks um, that different people are kind of nudging towards each other is a good thing because yeah. Republicans are not going to make this easy. They're, it's going to be awful, for sure. No matter what happens, and they need to be battle hardened because it's going to be tough. Yeah, absolutely. And I've been saying that since the beginning. I want this. I want this primary to be about us kicking the tires on our candidates, put them through their paces, let them see how they run. Right? Let them let them deal with a few problems. Let them roll out their policies. Let them, you know critique each other let's see how they do on tv let's how they do see how they do on the ground let's see how they organize themselves how they raise money like all that i i yeah. want the best in breed like bring it all definitely all right so speaking of best in breed then um we are going to go through each candidate so the way we're going to do this is i have a coin in my hand i'm going okay. it's an american quarter because i was keeping it really authentic <laughs> I'm going to flip that quarter, and the person who wins the coin toss will go first. Um, we're going to go down the list of candidates in order of their polling position okay. and pick our favorite thing about that candidate um, and put all those things together to create the person who would be the hypothetical dream candidate should the Democrats have one. So, uh, Eric, do you want to call the coin toss? Uh, tails? I'll say heads. All right. So heads, you win. Tails, I win. Oh, it came up tails. Okay. So I get to go first with VP Joe, former VP Joe Biden. Um, so my, I think Joe Biden's best attribute is his affability. I think he's just yep. got a like Uncle Joe, smiling, warm, like huggable way about him. Now the hugging, maybe a little <laughs> less of the hugging, less hugging, less sniffing. <laughs> but like you know, I think it's actually almost telling that you know of of all the kind of conversations about Joe Joe inappropriately touching people. Like I don't even think I would be that bothered by it, just because he has a really relatable human quality to him, and as a human being. The things that he's been through in his life, I mean, the suffering that he's endured, the loss of his family at a very young age, um, the, the the later loss of his son, like he's just, he has been through it. So I think he has a very deep empathy that comes across. And I would love for any candidate that we have to be able to convey that humanity. Yeah, no, he definitely has that. And I mean, my theory on who we elect as presidents in the U.S. since, the, you know, going back to Kennedy is the most likable person or the most the person that the Americans can imagine having around the house for a beer and a barbecue and seem kind of fun. And the candidates who failed that test, people like John Kerry, Al Gore, and I think Hillary Clinton are 
you know, uh, are the ones who, and, you know, George H.W. Bush, he struggled with his likability, yeah. um, you know, against Clinton. So I think it either way, and Joe definitely meets that likability test uh, big time. Yeah. Okay, so you get to go next, and your candidate is Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth, I mean, I, th- I mean, her, I mean, she surprised me. I didn't think that she would do that strong. I've, I've come around to um, embracing her, I, I thought, um, but her drive, I would say, and her combined with a drive and vision for what she wants, um, I think that that pat and that 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 that, that energy there is is fantastic. Yeah, it's been very clear. And that bringing that clarity to you know you know obviously she's gotten a little bit um, kicked around on how she's described her Medicare for all program, but um, and paying for it, and I think that she's been too cautious maybe in the way she's described that. But other than that caveat, that drive has been fantastic. Yeah, I think that's interesting. So you kind of said two things: drive, which is like the energy and the focus, and 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 then the second thing is the clarity, which is the she's from the beginning of the race. She's probably the one who's had the most consistent message. Like she knows this well, apart from Sanders, maybe. But but you know she has a very very clear story that she wants to tell about what's gone wrong in America, and she just brings it home all the time. Yeah, I think that's that's good messaging. I think she's she sounds she's talking about pretty much the same things as Bernie Sanders, but she sounds. He always sounds like he's just focused on the 1%. She goes beyond that, even though she's fighting against the 1%, whereas Bernie seems to always default, no matter what the question is, back to the millionaires and the billionaires, where she's, <laughs> she's got a better way, I think, of reaching beyond that scope and seems to have a lot of energy for someone who's 70 or whatever she is. I mean, that's <laughs> Yeah, incredible. she does not seem 70 at all, does she? Exactly. Yeah, she does not. Right. Um, okay, so I have now got uh vermont senator bernie sanders um and so yeah i I mean coming back to the conversation we were just having i think that sanders like i think i think his his brand and his ability the 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 brand that he's built around himself and his movement building i'm going to say movement building because bernie sanders has you know there have been a lot of candidates who have run and then kind of done well and then and then gone away and said oh i'm going to build a movement around this and you know they've done some stuff but i feel like for better or for worse bernie sanders has taken seriously the the task the job of what does it mean to build a movement and he's brought people on board he's brought young politicians up that you know that supported him that are now kind of moving forces in the party like he has understood something about kind of how to build a movement, not even just within the party system, but within the kind of overall political landscape that I think is valuable. And I think if the Democratic Party understood as well as Sanders does, just the task of creating a um, kind of sustainable movement behind a brand, then we'd be in a better place than we are. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's, I mean, part of his advantage is he's done that outside of the brand because he's kind of been a Democrat, but outside the Democratic Party. Well, it's all been under brand Sanders, not brand Democrat. (laughs) That's right. And that's why he's been able, you know, that's why in a way he's kind of freed himself up from the structures and the the legacy of the, you know, it's, it's a, it's a softer takeover of the Democratic Party than what Donald Trump did to the Republicans. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, he's definitely, I mean, if I, my word for him was, is, is a passion behind yeah. it as well. I think he's just, he's got all of the things as we were saying that Elizabeth Warren has, but he's just got that incredible um, ferocity, ferocity, ferocity um, to it. So um, yeah, which is a good thing. And people are excited about him. 
Absolutely. And, you know, we could have more of that, frankly, like I could use, yeah. you know, if Joe Biden had any of that, he'd be in a, he probably would be clearly away in, yeah. in, in the front runner position. Um, and I think that's kind of where he's fallen down a little bit as he hasn't been able to build anything behind him. Um, so over to you and you've got uh, South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Yes. Well, I mean, he has got the Obama factor. Um, uh, and if, if Obama was a white gay guy. <laughs> Um, very similar in so many stories, but I mean, just, he's got that extra bit of, he's got that, that, that star power that he's interesting. He's, he's, um, a freshness to him, um, that we maybe aren't seeing from the first three people we talked about who are, again, are all in their seventies and not, there's anything wrong with that. But I mean, um, uh, you know, in some ways I do wish he was a little bit older. Um, and I know he's been kind of dinged for having not as much executive experience, but he's got that new kind of come out of nowhere freshness that Obama had that. Uh, Bill Clinton had back in the day, that Jimmy Carter had back in the day. And, you know, this is the new generation coming forward. So, so freshness and so youth, but also almost just the kind of being young, but also being new on relatively new on the scene and kind of having a, a star quality. Yeah. I think he's got, you know, Bernie's angry at what's happened. Whereas Mm. I think I see more hope that that sort of, the hope thing that Obama embraced, I see that that legacy going to Pete. Um, and I think he brings that in. And I think that that positive that positiveness, um, positivity is, is going to be something that we need to give us get young people to the polls. Yeah. So we'll call that freshness and optimism. The, yeah. You know, he's the you know, that like I know it's completely the other side of the political spectrum, but but Reagan's kind of shining city on a hill uh, morning in America vibe to him. Yeah. So it's 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 always plays well in American politics is you know people to give you a bit of hope. Mm. Fab. Okay. Um. That's over to me, and I've got California Senator Kamala Harris, um, who I think is phenomenal. Um. I think that that for me, there's one really clear attribute for her that I've I've, I've always admired, and that is her. And it goes back to her prosecutorial experience, and it's her, um, her her prosecutorial forensic skill the way that she kind of i mean her work on the senate committees that she's on has been just fantastic she's a phenomenal interrogator i think she would do great in debates i think you know she is she's a great person to unpack an argument and really like nail the flaws in someone else's argument and really just crystallize very clearly the point of view i think you know the rhetorical skill that she has is just so valuable and i think she will have a bright career in the Democratic Party, no matter what happens in this race, because I think that's something we will be needing <laughs> in whatever whatever happens for the country. So I think you know, there's there's a lot to that. Um, I think her where she's fallen down a little bit is she hasn't been able to, as some of the others have, maybe build around that a bigger brand of what she wants to do for the country. But her kind of her clarity and intelligence comes through so strong. And yeah. uh, um, so, I, you know, that's a phenomenal attribute. Yeah, she's going to be a player no matter what happens um, going forward, you know, because it, it, she doesn't have the fire behind her at this moment. But, yeah, I, I, the, that's exactly the kind of traits that I saw on her as well. Um, I mean, she'd be at the top of a, of a vice. The, I see what the way she's behaved so far in this race feels more like she's, got the vice presidential sort of role where you've got that, you know, attack dog, um, strong voice and, you know, it's going to be fighting for an agenda, but it might just might not be her agenda yet. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And, you know, I think she might be, you know, if you if I were a Joe Biden, um, I would be thinking I, if I did win the nomination, I would want a female and or minority vice president to help build my to bring my movement along with me, because we need to we need to replicate Obama levels of African-American turnout. So he might be looking at her and thinking, despite, you know, the differences they've had in the campaign trail or indeed because of them, she might be a really compelling uh, yeah. running mate for him. Definitely. No question there. Over to you for um, entrepreneur <laughs> Andrew Yang. Andrew Yang. Bless him. Um, bless. I mean, no, no tie. Can that be the thing? No. Um, he, I don't quite understand all of them, but he's got ideas. And yeah. he's got a freshness, a new, 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 yep, new ideas. That's what he's bringing to the table. I mean, he's, he's he created a conversation about the universal credit that I did not think would ever happen in America. And it's people are embracing different ideas of how to look at poverty and how to look at raising people up. And I think that that freshness is exactly it. It's refreshing. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, I think he probably may not have even expected to be doing as well in this race as he is. I mean, I think he's doing surprisingly well for someone with no political experience. He's got, he's raised a lot of money. He's excited. Like, frankly, the data show that his donors are typically young, white, sort of techie style males. And, and but, but that's fine. Um, you know, you find your niche and you, and you, and you max it out. But I think he's, he's definitely talking about a bigger problem he's he's got a future vision of the country and he's thinking about big problems around how work is going to work and how employment is going to work and how the middle class will and the working classes be supported and funded and he's kind of taking a problem solving approach to it so um yeah i think it's interesting to see yeah so i mean how long he lasts in this is debatable but you know, you know, but does he fresh. does he look like a future labor secretary for someone or, you know, would he be I mean, I think there's you can see you can imagine a place for Andrew Yang in a, in a, yeah. in a future Democratic administration. Um, I think he's positioned himself well. OK, so uh, I now have uh, Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar. Mm. Um, so and again, I think like a little bit like Kamala Harris, I've also really admired her work in the Senate. Um, but I like, I think from a personal attributes point of view, the thing I've always liked about her personally is her Midwesternness. Mm-hmm. If I can just sum that up as a, as a, like, as a thing, <laughs> um, because, you know, there's a, there's a niceness that is not synonymous with weakness that comes across in a sort of Midwestern, um, sort of way of being and uh she's you know she's minnesota nice is is what the, is what they sometimes say but she's you know she's tough as nails but at the same time you know very middle america very relatable she has a great like she talks about getting into politics um in relation to kind of being very upset because um there were like some problems with i think um when she was in hospital giving birth and um you know just like i think you know you look at her and you think this is a very smart woman who i can relate to she seems very um kind of very much kind of a, a good example of the best of a normal person rather than you know somebody who's a kind of weirdo superstar um but super smart so yeah. westernness i guess we i'm coining that term <laughs> <laughs> i mean the, the other thing i think she brings um that is is in the, the lane of we've had enough excitement and yes. donald trump is just a roller coaster is that she's boring 
Yeah. So if you if we want to go with a boring technocrat, that's the, the yeah. she feels like that would be the one. Yeah. Um, who, which maybe that's being a Minnesotan as well. I don't know yeah. if I can say that without offending some of your, your <laughs> listeners. Like, you know, it's nice there, but it's not. Let's be honest. There's not. I mean, uh, you know, I've I've been to St. Paul. Yeah. <laughs> and, not... I think, and I think there might be there might be like you know a bit of a cultural trend for people saying, okay, I've had enough of all the the shenanigans, right? Like, just yeah. get back to the basics. Let's have good, decent people running kind of sensible governance. Like, boring might be a nice thing. So, the Midwestern doll. exactly okay so you've got new jersey senator cory booker yeah i i struggled with i I struggled with him to find out what is the one thing i would take from him i mean i i find him i and i just settled on the word unique because he is (laughs) he's different i mean he's not married um you know he is african-american but he's he's in a different lane and that he's i think he's been a kind of been sort of semi-Buddhist. He's, um, he's, he's a V trying to be a vegan. And then he was, you know, rescued somebody from a fire or something. I just, I don't know. <laughs> not dull. I, I, not dull. I mean, but he's, you know, he's different. I, I don't know where to put him, to be honest. I was kind of, I guess unique is the, the thing that I came up with, yeah. but I don't know if that's something that's going to build our super candidate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I guess, I guess you could, you could, you could, um, if you were turning it into a political attribute, you could take uniqueness and just say, um, differentiate it, right? Mm. Like, you're not going to confuse him with anybody else. No. And yet he hasn't really gone anywhere in the race. I, I keep thinking he's going to have a moment just because he's like, he can be really an eye-catching candidate. You know, he's he's well-spoken, he's tall, he kind of does these superhero things like rescuing people from bu- buildings. He's dating a, like, Hollywood actress, Um you know, so I think, well, you know, there's the, like, it feels like he, he could it have like he, he doesn't need to be president. He's got enough going on already. It's pretty exciting. I mean, you know, I wouldn't mind some of those things. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just uh, but again, I don't who's going to who's going to get behind him. What's his natural constituency? Because he's not really the voice of, say, the progressive, like change everything. He's not. Uh, he's not doesn't have massive executive experience. I know he was a mayor, which yeah. you know can go back to Pete uh, on that. So I, I just, yeah, but he's different. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, this, I mean, I'm sure he'd be. I mean, again, I think he'd be <laughs> fine if it ends up being him. I just don't. Yeah. I don't know where his moment comes from right now. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Okay, so I've got uh, former HUD secretary Julian Castro. Yeah. Um, now I, I like Julian Castro a bunch. Um, and I was trying to kind of think how I would, how I would classify the thing about him that I like. Um, and that it's hard to kind of wrap it all up into one thing. So, but I think I want to say it's something around, cause I love his work. He's done on immigration. Um, but I think it's, I almost want to say it's kind of like courage because, or the courage to speak out on behalf of people who don't get a lot of voice. Um, you know, he's done things around immigration policy where he's been very brave in speaking out for undocumented immigrants who are often like thrown under the bus by politicians of all stripes because they don't vote. Um, but he's also talked about animal welfare. He's talked about, um, you know, like the poorest of the poor. Like, I feel like he's he's one of the people in the race who's doing a great job of making sure that the, the um, kind of the, 
the left behind are not forgotten. So I mm. think he's, and even when it isn't politically necessarily in his interest to do so, I think he's made some missteps, but I do think there's an undercurrent of his campaign, which I really admire. That's courageous advocacy. Yeah. No, I mean, he seems, you know, I think he, he's for, from the first few times I saw him speaking, you know, in the context of this race, I, I felt like he was definitely sort of a B player, but his voice seems to have grown and become yeah. stronger um, in the debates and other places. So yeah, he he's somebody I could see having more of a moment, especially comparing him to, to Cory Brooker, even though yeah. Cory's higher up on the, on the list as far as um, uh, the, the you know the polls and stuff like that. But um, but yeah, I just I feel him being a little bit more defined. But yeah, we can see if he gets his moment. Okay, I'm I'm going to throw a curveball at you now. So here's <laughs> you've got <laughs> Hawaii representative Tulsi Gabbard. She brings to the table, I think, great the hair. ability, great hair. Um, uh, she is able to garner support um, from the Russians in a way that <laughs> I think our candidate needs to have if they're going to win. Because if we learned anything in the last year, the Russians can push you over the line. And I think Tulsi's the one to do it. Right. There you go. An important <laughs> constituency in the Democratic race is the support yeah. of the Russian government. Yeah. So you got I mean, to bring all your key constituencies in line. Got to bring them in. Got to bring them in. <laughs> yeah, I can't disagree with that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not a Tulsi fan. Can you, I'm can not you a Tulsi it? fan either. Like, I don't think she's completely without value as a human being, but I just don't, <laughs> don't really see her value in the race. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, she's a veteran, I suppose. She does have great hair. So I do. I genuinely do admire her in the in the debates, whoever's doing her styling. Yeah. Um, and you can't say that about Cory Booker. Cannot so, say that about Cory Booker. Like, you know, he does not have great hair. You know, <laughs> Bernie Sanders does not have his look pulled together. So <laughs> there you she's, go. she's got that. Um, let's move on. <laughs> What does my mother say? If you can't say anything nice. So um, you joke about her, but then she's going to end up being the nominee. So we joked about yeah. Trump and look where yeah. we're at. It's not, it's not even funny. <laughs> Except it is, but it's not, but it is. Right. Um, speaking of, we're in the, we're in the curveball section of the, of the list now, because I am given uh, Tom Steyer, who I've just listed. In each one of my lists, I've got like what their role is. And just next to him, I've just written billionaire. <laughs> so I'm going to say his best attribute is cash. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll take it. <laughs> So, I mean, he did, you know, before he um, entered the race, he built his mailing list out and kind of like precursored his presidential campaign with a big pro impeachment um, campaign. But even that just felt really cynical to me when he entered the race and just used that effort, like the money that he spent on that, used it to pivot into how he could build out a presidential list for himself. And I just thought... You really think you matter a lot in this world, don't you? Like that's <laughs> yeah. we, we teach billionaires to really believe in themselves. I guess self belief is an is an May, attribute. There you go. Well, the, I mean, the problem with the impeachment cry from day one is that it has allowed the Republicans to play victim, yeah. um, to say, look, this is what Democrats have tried to do, rather than now when we've got a, a, a you know concrete impeachable issue. And then they can say, well, you know, from day one, he's been here banging on about it. So I think it yeah. weakened that argument for when the day that it actually came. Yeah. And um, if anything, yeah, has just made it more difficult and more complicated. Um, I mean, he does see, I, I looked up uh, a little bit about him um, for this, and he has had a lot of passion behind green issues. So, yep. you know, we can say that he's a rich guy who, who I don't, you know, 
whatever. Just go spend your money on something else, dude. There's plenty of things for you to do. But that's the thing. I mean, that's, you know, that's what I keep coming back to is like, if you care about green issues and you have a lot of money, there's so mm-hmm. much potential to do good in this world. There's just so many things that, that could, anyway, never mind. <laughs> if you can't say anything nice. Yep. Okay, so over to you for uh, Montana Governor Steve Bullock. Well, you know, uh, uh, Klobuchar had the Midwest charm. This guy's got the Western charm. So, you know, you can he's going to be out there in Montana um, hanging out. I mean, that's <laughs> other than that. I mean, he's just – I mean, I don't think he's made any – has he made any of the debates? Uh, early ones, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, so, but, but I mean, I think that, you know, he's, he's a Democrat who can win in a non-democratic state, which I think that yeah. crossover appeal, um, it, you know, it is important. The, the ability for Democrats to appeal to the whole variety of America. Um, and I think that's a big part of what we need. Yeah. I think, I think crossover appeal is, is fair. Um, he is the only, if you look down this list, he's the only candidate on this list who is currently, um, the leader, you know, has, has, is holding electoral office in a strong red district or state. And that, yeah. you know, that's not nothing. That's like, it proves, uh, it proves some ability. And, uh, so yeah, I agree. Crossover appeal in a kind of Midwestern, uh, in a sort of Western style manner. Um, okay. Um, I am now tasked with saying something nice about <laughs> Maryland Representative John Delaney. <laughs> and um, I, it, this one is a particularly difficult one for me because um, I don't know that much about him. And what I do know about him is mostly based on his debate performances, which I found annoying. <laughs> um, so I guess I guess I'm going to have to say, like, <laughs> you know, you, you, you did you did set up the rules for this game. So you I are did. allowed no, to pass. Have, you can you can have someone as a pass. I think. No, I have that. to I have to play fair. <laughs> I admire the courage with which he does not like hide his baldness. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Um, yeah, no, but but also I guess so. Like I guess I gotta say, so he clearly sees himself as the centrist in this race. Like so, and he's trying to position himself as kind of the oh get real candidate, which I find annoying. But I do think there is whether or not he's the best representative of this. But I think pragmatism is is a value that I that I do hold, and I, so I guess I'm gonna say pragmatism. Um, like, I don't think he's playing it very well as a political attribute, but I do think that it's right to be thoughtful about what is realistic and what we can achieve. So I'll, I'll say that. All right. That's a good one. I couldn't, I couldn't come up with anything for him. So you did better than I did. I'm glad I didn't get him. I was like, oh, not John Delaney, please. Yeah. John Delaney. It's funny. Okay. So, um, it's the bottom end of the list now. I'm going to give you author and spiritual advisor, Marianne Williamson. And that's what she's got. She's got spirit. Yes, she does. Spirit. She's got spirit. There pluck. she goes. Just pluck. <laughs> and, you know, you go, girl. If I can, see, can you say that anymore? Are you allowed to say I, you I don't go, think person. does, but I'll say it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, but yeah, get in there. <laughs> Just the, the spirit. Spirit. She's spirit. got spirit. She's got some spirit. Smells like team spirit. Yeah. Okay, I've got Colorado Senator Michael Bennett. Who I'd um, forgotten about when I saw this list. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah I forgot he yeah. was still there. Yeah, he exists. Um, and uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, again, I think he, 
I know some people who live in Colorado and they, they admire him. Um, I think he, um, so I, I, he must have something going for him. (laughs) Um, I think I, I like, like, like with Steve Bullock, I kind of like his, his, his Western ethos. Um, and I guess he has a certain, like, I do think he has a, a certain kind of, Cross party appeal. Da, da, da. We kind of it, it, it's stuff we stuff we've said before. Um, so I guess for Mike Bennett, I want to go with. I want eleven. I feel like he brings a little bit of John Delaney's pragmatism without being with, but while being less of an asshole about it. <laughs> <laughs> so I like. I want to say like more compassionate pragmatism, or more, okay. or more, more appealing pragmatism. And he seems like he'd be really boring. Yeah. So I know he would definitely Bring put the dullness back into back into it. So. Okay, so you're now it's a big challenge because <laughs> uh, the next person on the list is uh, has not made any of the debates and no. is way down in the polls. In fact, the bottom of the polls that we have because the other candidates I'm, we're about to talk about in a minute have not appeared in any polling, and uh, is only the mayor of a small Florida small Florida city. So I'm going to give you Florida Miramar, Florida Mayor <laughs> Wayne Messam. Well, this guy, actually, it's not that hard to come up with something um, about Wayne that is positive that I'd love to have in our candidates and that he is not influenced by big money. And that is because his campaign has no money. In fact, (laughs) in the last polling cycle that was reported, he collected a whopping total of five dollars. Oh, spend it (laughs) well, Wayne. (laughs) He said it was blamed on a technical glitch. Um, where technically no one gave many money, but, uh, you know, that's the kind of, that's a good thing. You know, we don't want anybody influenced by either their own personal profiteering, um, as we have seen, and I won't name any names, um, but, or, you know, you know, being overwhelmed by the, the billionaires and the millionaires. So, you know, Wayne's not concerned about money. That I admirable. <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 it's ethical to be broke. Yes. Great. Um, uh, so I, the next on my list is I've got uh, former Pennsylvania representative uh, Joe Sestak. Now, I found this pretty easy because although I don't think Joe Sestak would necessarily be my top candidate, um, he does have an admirable military career. He was an admiral in the military before he entered politics. And um, <clears throat> so, and, and although, you know, I, I, I don't have totally unmixed feelings about kind of the value of military experience in public life, it does suggest a certain sense of discipline and commitment to service and willingness to put your own life on the line and his leadership in the military and rising up to the ranks um, of the Navy to the point of being an admirable an admiral suggests that he, you know, has some really appealing um, and impressive personal qualities. So um, I, you know, prop to him for that. Yep. He does not have bone spurs. So that was, he does not. <laughs> so we want a candidate without bone spurs. Definitely. <laughs> Uh, and now we're in the realm of the new, um, because the final two people on the list are uh, the two, one new entrant to the list and one prospective new entrant to the list. Uh, so Deval Patrick for you. I think I like candidates with executive experience and he's been a governor. And I think that that practice, I mean, I think, that, you know, Obama obviously had never had to run a big organization. He'd been a senator, which isn't a mat, you know, so I think we saw some learning curve with Obama as he was in his first few years in office and having to negotiate with the legislature and that kind of thing. So I think that's, 
I, I do like that. So the right kind of government experience and government experience, which again, we currently don't have yes. in the White House. Right. Um, so that was my, again, I, I just don't understand why, because I don't know much about him, but why, why did he, why did he wait to get in? Because he does look like he would have been in a top tier level of candidates. Um, you know, because I, yeah. I don't know if he, if he's, I don't know his, is he mixed race or is he, is he African-American or I don't he's, know. I believe he's African-American. Yeah. So I, mean, um, I know yeah. he's black. I don't know if he's mixed yeah. race or not. Um, uh, you know, again, that's, uh, I think we need, we, whatever the ticket ends up being, I want to see some diversity on there. I'd love to see gender diversity. Um, I think that's very important for what the Democrats need to represent. Um, so that would be great as well. But, um, but yeah, so not knowing a lot about him and having him barely get in the race, I'd say that I like that, that experience. Cool. I, I also like Deval Patrick. I, and, I, you know, not to, not to repeat the question from earlier on, but I, I sort of feel like he probably didn't get in the race because he might have thought Joe Biden had it more or less locked up. And that's why he was late to the, he was late to arrive, possibly. Yeah. Don't know. OK. And last, possibly also least, um, <laughs> but uh, not yet officially entered into the race, but has put his name forward on the Alabama and Arkansas ballots. So formally, he is a candidate, whether he's announced or not, is a uh, former New York City governor, uh, mayor, rather, uh, Mike, Mike Bloomberg. Um, now, I have obviously some issues with Mike. I don't think his place in the race is written necessarily, uh, I don't think there's much of a space for him in the race. I'm not quite sure why he thinks it's a good idea for him to run. But on a personal level, I was thinking about it hard and I thought, well, one thing I do actually genuinely admire about Mike Bloomberg is his relative independence of thinking. And what I mean by that is he used to be a Republican, then he was an independent, now he's a Democrat. Clearly, he's not influenced by party ID. Um, but, you know, what I, I think I think there if more Republicans had been willing to take the Mike Bloomberg path of understanding that what they thought were the conservative principles that they supported no longer was represented by the party, then the country would be in a better place. Mm-hmm. So um, if Republicans in the Senate would start to realize that they are no longer uh, they're no longer doing the country any service by sticking uh, kind of ruthlessly to their party ID, the country would be in a better place. So I, I genuinely admire his independent thinking on that. Okay. Independent thinking. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So to sum up, our dream candidate would have affability like Joe Biden. He would, they, he or she would have the drive and clarity of an Elizabeth Warren's, the movement building, building capacity of a Bernie Sanders, the freshness and optimism of a Pete Buttigieg, the prosecutorial and rhetorical skill of a Kamala Harris. They would bring the new ideas of an Andrew Yang. They would have a kind of Midwestern charm of an Amy Klobuchar. They would have the kind of unique and eye-catching nature of a Cory Booker, some courageous advocacy like like Julian Julian Castro, they would obviously enjoy support from Russia. <laughs> they would have all the cash of a Tom Steyer, the crossover appeal of a of a Steve Bullock, the pragmatism of a of a John Delaney, some spirit like a Marianne Williamson. <laughs> they would have kind of a more appealing version of pragmatism, perhaps like uh, like Mike Bennett. They would not be influenced by big big money. They might have some military experience, executive experience, and some independent thinking. Actually, that sounds like a pretty good candidate. I would be happy with such a person, right? It feels like that we're um, we're maybe putting too many things in here, though. Just it's like a dating profile. That's a lot of things. (laughs) We're going to have to be realistic here. If you Um, had to pick two or three of the attributes that I talked about, which ones would you prioritize? uh, I'm I'm all about likability. 
it has yeah. it has to be somebody that we can identify with beyond you know because that's i mean obama was uh you know normally we don't go for brainy presidents but because he was likable yeah. people sort of overlooked the fact that he was actually intelligent um so to me that's I think, and I also, and just, um, and I think the the hope factor that um, you get from uh, somebody like Pete, yeah. um, it's got got to be hope and and likability because I don't think we can run this race by attacking the moral collapse of Donald Trump because everyone has that we've known he was morally corrupt and they elected him anyway, so it has to be about what is the next step for the for for America. To be honest, if you took, it's really actually clarifying in a lot of ways, because if you take just the top four attributes on the list from the top four people in the race, mm. affability, drive and clarity, movement building, and then a freshness and optimism, that is a great candidate, like, yeah. like those things together. Um, and, and, and so it, perhaps it's not a surprise that those are the four people who have actually risen to the top so far in a, in a crowded field, is yeah. that each of them was able to demonstrate one of those qualities with a real, um, real conviction so mm. um now just put them all together <laughs> exactly and there's still time for that to happen i mean yeah, you know uh, you know obama hadn't broken through at this stage i don't think clinton had yet so he kind of came yeah. out of nowhere um so there's time yeah that's interesting i i'm happy we did this because uh, it makes me feel better about things <laughs> good that's good, good. <laughs> i feel happier now we can't we don't have to panic just yet phew what a relief yeah we can relax have you got a few more minutes to play the gut check game? Sure. Let's go for it. Okay. So for those new to the podcast, I have placed into my trusty Red Sox baseball cap some quotes and sayings that have been overheard on the campaign trail this week. I am going to pick one out of my hat, read it out loud, and then Eric and I will respond to it. So my first piece of paper I'm pulling out of a hat um, is a quote from Pete Buttigieg. And he says... Figuring out a way to call on white Americans to think about race without triggering the immediate kind of defensive mechanisms or going into this place of apology and guilt that also isn't always productive. That's really tough. This is him talking about kind of um, race relations. What do we think about that? Um, yeah, I think that that's accurate. I think that the, the people who, you know, some people have said, well, you know, racist and voted for Trump. It's it, there isn't there hasn't been an opening for them to discuss maybe their feelings about how uh, America is evolving in its relationship to race and where they and their place in that. Um, and to give people, yeah, a language and the comfortableness to feel like they can talk about how what they're feeling without saying, well, pff, come on, you're, you're denying your white privilege, you know, that kind of attitude. Um, that gives permission to people to have a conversation because and and to allow them to make mistakes as they go along in their path. Yeah, that's important. Yeah, I think yeah it's it's a it's a thoughtful quote. I think it's typically thoughtful for Pete. You know, it's yeah. he, he's a very meditative candidate. He really likes to reflect on things and and in a way that 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 is appealing. Um, I think he's I think he's got a real problem um, in talking and thinking about race because he is very much. And one of the reasons he's doing so well in early states is his demographic skews very, very white. And I think, you know, you can, I don't mean to be dismissive of him when I say that it's very much the kind of white people who feel kind of a desire to be thoughtful and empathetic about race rather than actually people of other races. Um, mm. So he needs to find a way to broaden that conversation and like be, um, you know, pr he needs to find a, a better point of affinity with minority voters if he's going to break through past those early states. He needs to get out of his head because it's a thoughtful, articulate quote. And yeah. 
doesn't maybe need to be that thoughtful. <laughs> no, like just, yeah. So, yeah. So, and maybe, you know, just, just put some more black people front and center in his campaign, right? Like just yeah. list, put some voices out there, I feel. Um, but, you know, again, then he also has a very Iowa focused strategy. So maybe at this point in the race, he doesn't think that's, that's needed. Right. Um, okay. So next quote I'm pulling off of, out of my trusty Red Sox baseball cap. Um, interestingly was pulled from an article in which a couple of the words in it were bleeped out. I'm going to guess what I think the words <laughs> that were bleeped out might be. Uh, so this is from Lloyd Blankfein, uh, who is the chair of Goldman Sachs speaking about Elizabeth Warren. He says, she's disgraceful. She doesn't know who the fuck she's tweeting. I'm assuming it was fuck. It's F blank, blank, blank. <laughs> I gave away more in the year than she has in her whole fucking lifetime. I mean, these, uh, these guys are panicking too, too I mean, early on. Sheesh. I mean, there's, there's a, there's a, there is a limit to what anyone who gets into office will actually do, I think. And yes, you know, she's taken a hard tack and she's, but she also said she doesn't want to ruin the U.S. economy. You know, she's been involved with these issues for a long time. She's taken a hard stance against corporate America, but they need to chill. <laughs> yeah. And like, but listen, look at the quote, though. I find it fascinating because he's not even talking about policy. He's talking about personally, like how yeah. dare she and come at me. Right. Um, you know, I gave away more in the year than she has in her whole lifetime. Well, yeah. And you're a billionaire. She's not like, what, what do you want? <laughs> yeah. And she's, you know, she's put her life into teaching and public service. Yeah. You yeah. put it into profiteering. Uh, I mean, it's the same attitude that Howard Schultz had when he was kind yeah. of like, well, I think, you know, we shouldn't criticize billionaires. You know, I started poor and now I'm not. So, yeah. um, you know, and part of what got us here was that for the first time ever, people realized the American dream wasn't reaching them. Um, because in the in the recession, the Great Recession, people suddenly couldn't get, you know, a bigger screen TV for the first time in their lives. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I think I she I think she welcomes his loathing. Like, oh, yeah. I, I do think there's a slightly and I don't mean this as an insult. I do think there's a slightly like trolley aspect to the Warren campaign where they're quite happy to provoke this kind of response yeah. from the Lloyd Blankfeins Blank and, the, and the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world because it's like that's her message, right? Her message is capitalism is broken. These guys broke it and they're not going to be the ones to fix it. We need to reduce yeah. their power. And I, I find that message compelling. And I'm, you know, by no means a burn it all down type, but, you know, it just the facts are there. And it shows that she's a more legitimate candidate than Bernie Sanders, who has the same message, but I just don't see him as the nominee. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've got another slip in the paper that uh, slip of paper in the hat that I'm just going to cheat and pull out because it's Elizabeth Warren campaign's response to that quote from Lloyd Blankfein. <laughs> they retweeted it. Um, they retweeted hit that 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 quote that quote from the news article, and they just said, "Okay, billionaire." <laughs> Yeah, a reference for the for those of you who are not very online to the OK Boomer meme. It was like OK Billionaire. I was like, yeah, that's all that needs to be said, right? Like we know we know who you are. We see you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not. It's I don't see that's how it's helping his cause. Who's going to be empathetic with the, this billionaire guy? Yeah, Let's exactly. Oh, poor poor little rich guy. Right. <laughs> Okay, um, another quote that I'm pulling out from the campaign trail. Uh, we'll just do two more. Um, so this one 
This is from a New York Magazine article about Michael Bloomberg, and it's a quote um, referencing an incident. Uh, it's a quote from an article uh, that was written on an incident that took place in 2012. Um, and the, the the writer talks about how my friend and I followed the host over, shook Bloomberg's hand. This is when they first were introduced to Mike Bloomberg at a party. And my friend thanked him for his position on gun control. Without even acknowledging the con- the comment, Bloomberg gestured toward a woman in a very tight floor-length gown standing ne- standing nearby and said, look at the ass on her. <sighs> I guess you're taking the attitude that that's incorrect. <laughs> I mean, yeah. what is your gut? What does your gut say, Eric? Well, I mean, he's a, uh, you know, it's it's locker room talk. It's locker room talk. It's locker room talk. You know, it was it's pretty. It's it's, you know, now we can look back on these things and think, oh, what happened to the good old boys club? Um, yeah, boy, yeah, that's what we need is a billionaire who denigrates women in the White House. If only we could have a sexually harassing billionaire in the White House, then all uh, our problems would be solved. I mean, it doesn't. Um, I just, yeah. I love, I love the mental image uh, of the conversation of like. Thank you for your strong stance on gun control. I appreciate how you're trying to save the lives of Americans. Look at the ass on her. I'm like, hang on, I mean, I'm sorry. What? I'm, I'm so, I've got to stand up for masculinity here. It's very difficult to have a conversation when you can see a tight ass over there. I'm just going to, I got to stay, I got to say it. I mean, I'm going to not going to roll over when you, that's, you know, it's, it's, it's right. just, you can't yeah. focus on those sort of issues. Okay. Well, I'm sorry that you as a gender are so crippled with a physical impairment that a lot that makes it impossible for you to function. It's I mean, bizarre how society has ended up in this point with you guys in charge. Really? We have to realize that America will never give it its guns. So the answer is to pour, put more women in tight skirts out there and that will stop gun violence tomorrow. I mean, you know, let's distract it away. Yes. All right. We should at least try it. <laughs> um, should we? You reckon? Okay. <laughs> you know, new ideas. Just, try, just trying to make it, yeah, new ideas. Style, big thinking. Why not? Give it alternative try. options. <laughs> look at, look at the ass on her. Yeah. Well, there you go. Um, okay. Final quote in the hat is from new, newly entered candidate Deval Patrick. Um, reflecting on his entrance into the race and kind of the reasons why he came in, he says, we seem to be migrating on the one camp towards nostalgia and on the other camp, it's our big idea or no way. Well, I mean, I guess, I mean, I suppose he's talking about the fact that, you know, that, uh, you know, like if you don't believe to the same level of intensity about something like climate change that you don't believe in climate change. Um, and that maybe there's a purity test that you're giving people that might be a little bit too high. I mean, like, I don't like, um, you know, that some people have said that there's no room in the democratic party for people who aren't, um, fully supporting of a woman's, uh, woman's right to choose that you can't have a Democrat who has a more conservative view on abortion. I, I do see there that there's a risk that that alienates people if you if you create too many purity tests. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I I, I find the uh, quote a little opaque, to be honest. I mean, I get yeah. so there's on the one side, and I'm not even sure what he means. On one side, there's nostalgia. Well, I think you could argue that both as the Republican side is all nostalgia because it's make America great again, not just great. Yeah. 
Um, but then, you know, there's also an argument for like, there are a lot of old people in the democratic, in the leadership of the democratic primary right now. So there's a, Mm. you know, the Biden Sanders Warren wing feels like an argument about a previous generation of the country. And, and maybe it's, it's about getting past that, but then the whole kind of uh, like our big idea or no way, like, I don't know what that argument is. Is it like, we shouldn't have big ideas? Cause I, or is it just that people are too inflexible around them? I, I don't know. I'm not sure that I just don't I don't see that specific thing. I see yeah. a desire in the race for people. There are a lot of candidates who are saying we need to think bigger. I think mm-hmm. Sanders and Warren are both saying we need to think bigger. And then the other argument is we need to be more pragmatic. I don't think that the people who are saying we need to think bigger are are necessarily saying that ideas that are not ideas are not are not our ideas are not valid. They're just saying these are my ideas. Mm. Well, I think but Joe me- Biden is. Yeah, he's definitely the nostalgic uh, yeah. uh, candidate um, because he's, you know, think back to Obama and his legacy. He's not, and I, and I think this is why he's not going to catch fire. And I I struggle to see him as the final nominee because he doesn't, it's not a vision for the future. It's rem- to come with me, you know, to go back to the past. Yeah. Um, and the inflexibility, that's a dig, I think, at, at Warren and Sanders. So he's trying to hit you yeah. know, three of the main candidates all in one go. Um, so, you know, in a very subtle, nice way. Well, good luck to you, Duvall. Welcome to the fray. <laughs> exactly. Listen, Eric, as always, it's been a delight to talk to you. And yeah. uh, so once again, everyone, next Tuesday, the 19th of November, is the Democrats Abroad Comedy Night fundraiser. Yep. Remind us where and when. Uh, it's at the Backyard Comedy Club uh, in uh, East London. And if you want to get tickets, um, you do have to be an American citizen because it's an official fundraiser. Um, you can find the place to buy them on the Democrats Abroad uh, UK website. Thank you very much, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. And that's it. As always, you can reach me on Twitter. I'm at Karen Jr. on Twitter, at K-A-R-I-N-J-R on Twitter. Um, if you are an American listening to the sound of my voice, please make sure that you have registered to vote or requested your absentee ballot. Um, if you're an American abroad like myself, the website you want to go to is votefromabroad.org. If you're an American abroad home, it's just vote.org. And I, finally, I should just let you know that this podcast is not affiliated with any organization and the views expressed are, of the, are those of the speakers only. I will speak to you again next week on Friday. As always, new episodes drop every Friday. In the meantime, have a great week. Thank you.